Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Jar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Happy Tuesday, everybody. A little sleepy. I don't know who asked for the 9.30 tip-off time for Kansas-UNC. Certainly wasn't the East Coast bias. Might have been the West Coast bias. But hey, NCAA. Hey, Final Four committee. Whatever you want to call them. 9.30, and I, I get that I sound old right now, and that's fine. I, I'm starting to cross over the olds, Casey. You know? <laughs> I'm bit. starting to, hey, you either live long enough to become the go. young or, or you're dying old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Um, but, yeah, so this is definitely a, an old take of mine. But 9.30 is, is way too late to start the game. Thankfully, it kept me awake through the entire duration because it ended up being an exciting game. Much to the chagrin of Kansas getting off to a little slow start. Uh, with, with, you know, UNC going up big at halftime and then Kansas making a game out of it in the second half and coming down to the wire. The Kansas City Jayhawks, as the NCAA uh, president, whoever that was, um, called them, were able to prevail. Who, who are you cheering for uh, in that game last night, Casey? Uh, North Carolina, because I bet on them. Not money line, thank okay. goodness. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, am I wrong to not like Bill, like, Bill Self a little bit? Because, like, he's been in some trouble with the NCAA. Yeah. You know? So, like, well, and I, I, I like the underdog story that was North Carolina, so I was mm-hmm. riding with them. No, and I'm with you. I, I was kind of going for um, North Carolina, too, even though I bet because my friend and I always have, like, an NCAA bet for the championship game every single year, and, and the, the the stakes are always different. They're, they're always, like, a psychological thing. I can't really share what the bet sure. was. Um, but it, it was high stakes for sure, and I, took, I ended up taking Kansas um, with four, and, and that came back to backfire in my face. Yeah, it is what tough. it is. But, yeah, I found myself rooting for North Carolina, though, just because of all these shanks, sanctions right now that are looming with Kansas. And, you know, I, I get it innocent until proven guilty, and you have to let the process kind of, you know, work itself out. And obviously Bill Self has said many times that they're not going to find anything and that the program's innocent. There's going to be no um, sanctions that are going to get handed down to Kansas and everything's going to be all hunky-dory and we'll see. But with those sanctions looming, it does take away a little bit from the Kansas Jayhawks, and it does take away a little bit from the moment because, you know, while you had Duke and Coach Trzeski and that whole thing, and then he, he can't get it done, that was the big storyline, it seems like the opposite side of the coin is the Kansas Jayhawks and are they getting in trouble or not, and they're playing in the championship game, and is that right? Like, do you think if a team is tied to sanctions – and who, who's ever doing the, you know, the interviews and, and researching this whole thing to kind of try to find a verdict hasn't come up with that verdict yet. Does Kansas deserve to even be in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird, kind of a weird thing because, like, in a weird way, like, we're used to cheating in sports now. Like, oh, that's it's just common. kind of where we are. So, yeah. like, you know, LSU's in, okay, you know, whatever. Baylor went through some things, okay. You know, it's, it is weird, but I... I'm, I guess I'm numb to the fact that this kind of stuff happens all the time, so I don't necessarily want to see him out of the tournament. That's probably the right thing to do mm-hmm. in theory, but it doesn't bother me in, that they're in the tournament. Okay. Just because yeah. we're so numb to it, I think. No, for sure. It doesn't bother you that they're hoisting the trophy and, hey, maybe that they'll be suspended next year. I don't love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't love it. But it's just the way that it's it is. It's just the way it is. And you have to accept that. Sure, sure, sure. So, you know, and I get recency bias is the thing. 
in terms of the the NCAA tournament totality, where did this one rank for you? And in, in terms of of watching, because it had a little bit of everything. Yeah. It, it had the Cinderella story. It had the Coach K story. Right. It had the big rivalry in the Final Four with North Carolina um, and Duke. I would have loved to see Murray State go a little farther. I'm not going to lie. Wouldn't but that's, all, but that's hey, brackets were busted right away. So I, I didn't like it from that standpoint where a lot of people's brackets didn't do that well. Now, if we're doing just, you know, Brent, you and me, <clears throat> champion, you know, yeah. I'm the champion. Um, yeah. But it, it feels kind of like a cheap win, you know, because I only, I only had one side of the bracket even right in terms of the Final Four. But with that being said, where does this Final Four rank for you? In ter- or I guess the, the tournament in totality, where does it rank for you in terms of entertainment value? I thought it was good, man. It had a little bit of everything. I mean, yeah. these last couple of games, we didn't really have blowout factor. I mean, I guess Kansas kind of took it to Villanova the other night in the Final Four. But a lot of the other games are really good. You had the St. Peter's story, which was great. A lot of upsets. Um, I, I like when Gonzaga loses just because I've become that guy. Sure, and everybody sure. picks Gonzaga, so I'm happy with that. I. I thought it was really good. I think most of the games were super interesting. Um, I I don't know if I have a hard time watching basketball from front to back, but not in this tournament. Uh, in the NBA, I do have that problem sometimes because it's just disinteresting to me. It gets to a point like mm-hmm. that. But this tournament, I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I wish there was more of it. Uh, one, of, one of the better ones I feel like there's been in the last couple of years, in my opinion. No, I mean, there's obviously a lot of close games, a lot of upsets. I mean, it, it had a little bit of everything. And if we are being truthful about Gonzaga, I, I learned a lot about this bracket and this tournament. I am never picking Gonzaga again as long as I live. I don't care if they're undefeated. I'm glad. Going going into the tournament. And that was my mistake. You know, I kind of bought into the hype a little bit. This is finally going to be the year. This is finally going to be the, the Zags year. Like, it's been a long time coming. They got a talented team. They got a couple first-rounders on that team. It's hard to pick against the Zags, and I went with Chalk. Why was I mistaken? And I guess it comes down to in terms of, all right, Gonzaga, yeah, they have a lot of talented guys. But, Casey, go ahead and tell me some of the, the greatest Gonzaga basketball players of all time, besides John Stockton, and I'll, and I'll wait. Go. Uh, Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs. Go Magic. Go ahead. Who else you got for me? Anybody? I mean, Kelly Olenek. I was going to say that. Kelly but, Olenek. Yeah. But, I mean, how, how great is he in the NBA? Yeah, you know, he's yeah. always kind of being a swing guy. Yeah. That's and, but he, I mean, Morrison, you know, Adam, but he didn't really pan out in terms of, of the NBA. He was a great collegiate basketball player. Anybody yeah. else? No. I mean, I could be missing some, but. No, and I'm sure we're missing some, but like, I guess my point is, is when you have a team like Gonzaga, and, and you know how I feel about the whole like SEC thing where it's like it just means more and that kind of annoys me sometimes. Sure. But like when you talk about Gonzaga, yeah, they're a school that plays in a conference that in terms of top to bottom talent, yeah. It's not there. And granted, I, I was gone during the week when Gonzaga got beat, so I didn't get to talk about it too much. But I'm never picking Gonzaga again, okay? Uh, I hope they win one. I really do. But I'm not falling for it anymore. If it wasn't going to be this year, I feel like it's never going to be Gonzaga's year. But this year, it was Kansas's year, um, and much respect to them. In terms of that game, a couple interesting things happened towards the end of that game, which was obviously an exciting second half there. Um, Backhot goes down. Yeah. Due to a some kind of floor malfunction, it seemed like. Because, yeah. I mean, if you watch the replay of that, uh, it was definitely uneven, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's definitely an unfortunate thing when there's less than a minute to left to go in the game and he's driving and all of a sudden the floor just gives out and he turns the ball over. But I thought it was an interesting move from the Kansas's, uh, Kansas player's standpoint of it almost seemed like they let him get back into the game. And then when he was hobbling... They called the timeout when they could have easily scored. They're up by one at the time. 
could have easily scored, put it up by three, put the ball uh, back in North Carolina's hands and try to force them to at least tie you. And then you have the ball coming down the court with the, with the clock running down for the last shot if you truly needed it. Were you surprised that Kansas didn't try to go for the jugular there when Backot went down? Yeah, I was. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought the exact same thing. When it happened, I was like... Okay, this is bad because mm-hmm. you know four and a half. I was sitting on, so I was oh, like, well, yeah. you know, I was like, hey man. From the betting standpoint, it was bad too. So yes. I'm like yelling. I'm like, hey, that's cheap. If you shoot it, it's cheap. And the dude was wide open at the oh, three. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. he had it. He had all day, and yeah. it looks like just he didn't want to shoot the basketball, but it looked like some of his teammates were like, hey, well, and like let's go. And if you saw the reaction from the bench, even they were like, kind of go, go, yeah. go. So it's a weird, it's a weird thing because obviously he was hurt. Pretty, oh, for sure, pretty bad. for sure. He came, yeah. you know, he came Reaper running on the leg. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't good. So, I mean, I'm not mad at him for not shooting the ball. If they lose, mm-hmm. per, yeah, I'm sure that comes back at him in a bad way. But I guess maybe sportsmanship and being good guy wins over right there. Because a lot of players on that court would have shot the basketball. He didn't do it. Well, and that's the thing, Casey. Yeah, I understand sportsmanship is a big thing, and we always teach it to our youth as as we should, because sportsmanship definitely counts for something. But when you're in the national championship game yeah. and you're up by one and there's, what, 40 seconds or three, whatever, whatever was yeah. left on the clock, and you have a chance to go up by three and, and really put the pressure on North Carolina, if you find yourself in that situation, what do you do? Oh, I'm pulling it. Are you pulling it? You're, you're shooting. I mean, well, we see this all the time, though, right? Like, we see yeah. it all the time in the NBA. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in college basketball where a guy goes down, maybe he goes flying into the crowd, maybe he rolls his ankle and he's down. Uh, I've, I've never seen a team pull up and, like, let that guy get back into, yeah, you know, know, into the play. I mean, he was wide. There was not a blue jersey in sight. Yeah. My man could have squared up, thought about it. Yeah. I mean, I would have pulled it. No, for sure. I'm now, saying good on him for, like, that's a good teaching oh, no, moment. Oh, well, because guess I what? Guess. In hindsight, it worked out well yeah. because you won. Right. Right? So it didn't really matter. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you call a timeout, you turn the ball over, North Carolina wins the game. Now yeah. we're talking about well, what are you doing? Yeah. So it, it looked good in hindsight. But, man, that was um, it was definitely a risky play. You think going forward now, you know, with, the, with the, like the transfer pool and everything, or the portal, as they call it, do you think we're going to see a lot more parity in college basketball where we're going to have maybe these smaller schools kind of make names for themselves now just because guys are transferring nonstop. Like, I know Murray State is trying to get a couple guys right now. I think there's one dude from Arkansas who might transfer over to Murray State they're talking about. It seems to be the trend now where, you know, yes, recruiting is still a, a big thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, recruiting is everything still in college basketball. But now it feels like the, the playing field has been leveled a little bit with the transfer portal. You think we're going to see just nonstop competitive NCAA tournament games just because there's going to be talent really on every single team now? Yeah, I, I like it that way. I hope it does stay that way. Uh, to your point, the what's the dude's name from St. Peter's with the mustache that became like the face of college basketball? Yeah. he's He announced today he's transferring, so you're probably going to see him in a bitter, bigger program. But to your point, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's exciting because of, like you said, there's more parity. Anybody can win. Arkansas is, you know, beating Gonzaga. These things can happen now, and it's kind of crazy with that because, like, for example, with Arkansas, J.D. Note played for J.U. Yeah. Transfers to Arkansas. He's, like, the best player in the SEC. Same thing <laughs> happened. UNF had a guy in Horkler that transferred to Providence. So, yeah, I like it, and it's given these guys kind of different opportunities. I think it'll make things, to your point, more interesting, and you're really never going to know what's going to happen at this yeah. point. Um, we're going to be talking about Brent Martineau here in a little bit. Still in Augusta. I believe he's driving back today, if I'm not mistaken. He's got some time to call in, kind of give us the 4-1 the and of all the Tiger hype right now. And, and I've heard it myself. And keep in mind, I'm not necessarily the biggest golf fan. 
But it seems like all the talk on social media, all the talk on, you know, sports channels, is can Tiger Woods make the walk? This, this seriously might be the biggest walk of all time for, for Tiger. This is going to truly be a walk to remember. Never seen the movie. No, it's a chick flick. I'm sure it's great. I think Mandy Moore was in it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen it, Casey. Nah. Oh, I mean, you're into The Bachelor. It's all good. Yeah, no. No, yeah. you've never seen Walk to Remember? No. But you've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's going to be Walk to Remember. Are we overblowing the Tiger Woods walking hype? Like, do, do, do we really feel like he's not going to be able to walk 18 holes, 36 holes? Um... I mean, are we overblowing it? I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough one because it. I mean, it is going to be tough to walk on that golf course. I understand it sounds dumb. He's not carrying the bags though. Like he's just. It's I just know. Him. But I mean, you remember the pictures from that crash, man? The no, idea that listen, his leg's still there for the first part. Listen, it it, it might have been amputated. Right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I get that, but I also know from you know friends who have seen it with their own eyes how much of a hard worker Tiger Woods is in yeah. terms of his weight room routine and his, his conditioning routine. And I feel like if he truly is going to play, the walk isn't going to be what's bothering him. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I think he's going to have his body primed and ready to roll. I, I agree with that. I think that if Tiger... Tiger's obviously been preparing for this moment. So if Tiger was not able to walk it, he doesn't show up. Let's be honest. Like he's, I can't see Tiger Woods showing up to Augusta and being like, Eh, as it turns out, it's a no-go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he's there. He's prepared for this moment. I think, is, is it a big deal in terms of can he walk it? Yeah, a little bit. But if he's there, I think he's playing. Okay, so this was a leading story on Sports Center Day, though, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. You know? Yeah. Can, can, can he make the walk? I mean, is there, and I know there's, there's like a Tiger tracker. We have a walker tracker, too, uh, on Tiger. We should. In terms of, like, oh, he's going to the clubhouse. Oh, he's going to the, the ATM. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, are we going to have the Tiger tracker where he's walking? No, we could. Okay. Yeah, we see Tiger at the snack stand. Now, did I kind of get in my own mind where, in theory, could the caddy give him a piggyback ride? Mm, Seriously. Like because do you think it crossed my mind one time maybe last night where I was like, well, I wonder if I signed up to be Tiger Woods' caddy. I would carry the bag, and yes, that's heavy. Yeah. Okay, that's that's very heavy because he's not rocking like one of those like little junior bags. They're like the... the no, that's a big bag. It's like 50, 70 pounds. I don't know how much it weighs. It weighs heavy. a lot. Yeah. I feel like I could carry that bag in Tiger Woods if I had to. Like, like I feel like if Tiger Woods, you know, his leg is seriously an issue and he's worried about walking, I feel like I could be there tomorrow morning at the very latest mm-hmm. and I could show up and I could give Tiger Woods a piggyback ride, the, the, the entire 18, and carry his bag at the same time. Is that in the rule? Can, can you do that or not? I don't think it's ever been done. I honestly don't think there's a piggyback rule or a situation okay. like that. So I it's think, never happened. No, I don't think it's happened. I think uh, I think it could be done. Um, and I think if there's a situation where Tiger's like on Sunday and he's in it, yeah, he's like, hey, hey, it's not. I need you to carry me up this hill. Oh, dude, I got. I tell you right now, he's getting hey, on somebody's back. Hey, you know what I'm gonna say is, hey, just just put on the red shirt and I'll take care of the rest. There you go. No, yeah. I'm not gonna give him any kind of advice in terms of what irons and stuff to use, and no, that's sir. gonna that's on him. He but should know. Yeah, he should know. I mean, he's played a couple times, right? He knows what he's getting into. But I think in terms of carrying that dude, yeah, I got him. So I wonder where that is in, in the rule book. I'm just saying. Yeah, it might be It might be the Austin Lane rule at this point. It, 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 it crossed my it. mind. Yeah. It crossed my mind a couple of times. I like it. I'm not sure what the odds are. You, you might have a much better knowing of golf in terms of what the odds say. If Tiger Woods was to somehow miraculously come out and win this tournament, 
what does that do for the sport of golf, number one? But, like, in terms of a championship one in golf, would that be the biggest moment ever? Yeah, probably. By the way, in the odds, uh, Coos posted this earlier, plus 5,000 as it currently stands. For, for Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods to, to win the tournament. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Steep odds. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it would be probably one of the better achievements in the history of golf because he has not played, I mean, since obviously the injury. Uh, we don't, honestly, we don't really know where the game is at because we haven't seen it. We saw a little bit at father-son, but we haven't seen it in major championship form. Obviously, a golf course he's won at a ton of times and knows very well. But in my opinion, yes. If you're coming off a situation where you almost lost your leg yeah. and the next time out, I mean, it, it is the next time out. It's been a while. But anyway, the next time out you win, yes, in my opinion, that's the greatest win in the history of golf. And, and But, Seats, what does it say about the sport, though? Because, like, to me, Woods coming back and winning this tournament would be like a football player being out for an entire year coming back and winning, like, the MVP award. It'd be like Alex Smith coming back and winning the MVP award. Yeah. I mean, is, is that comparable? Yes, in a weird way, yes. Okay. Because to, to that point, exactly, like the point I was going to make with Tiger is like, sure, it's been done before with guys that had layoffs or got hurt, came back and won. But golf is so strong now. There are so many talented golfers right now. And to your point, there are so many good quarterbacks. Josh, yeah. Al, you know, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, he goes on forever and ever. Yeah. So the strength that you're currently playing with in golf right now compared to what you're saying with Alex Smith, it's very comparable. So I, I actually like that comparison. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there a little like bit. It. Okay. Cool. 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 Well, that, that, that was my golf talk for the day. That was good. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Tiger Woods, if you're listening okay. and, you, and, you, and you need a piggyback ride. Well, pick me up. A little pick me up. I mean, I can, I can pull a Marshall Byron Leftwich and just carry it on the field like they did for him. Oh. And, that, and then that was like three offensive linemen doing that. It's just me out there, Casey. Yeah. But you know what? I think we, with my cardio, might be a little toasty out there, and it might be raining, so we'll see. But Tiger Woods, if you need me, dude, I got you. I'm only asking, what, 40%, per, 30% case? To carry him, yeah. 30, I mean, I mean, what, at the minimum, 30 what do, what do caddies usually make? So it's funny. We just talked about this with somebody. Uh, certainly wasn't me. No. It, yeah. It, uh, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say yet because that's some stuff that's coming down the pipeline oh, for nice, ESPN nice. 690. But okay. um, you'll hear that at some point on the station. Yeah. Um, the agreement is, I guess, agreed upon before. But I guess if you win, you get around 10%. Okay. So, the yeah. The gets around 10% without it, carrying any humans. Okay. Then I'm going to offer at least 30%. Yeah, then for carrying him. For, for, for carrying Tiger Woods, I'm, I'm getting at least 30 35%. And I want some Nike swag some, as well. Yeah, some swag. All right. Well, well that, that's been the golf talk for today, at least for a while. When we come back, though, I'm seeing a lot of Trevon Walker. Casey, I'm sure you're seeing it too. Yeah. You know how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. But it begs the question. If people are starting to get on the Trevon Walker bandwagon right now, and they're getting on the Trevon Walker hype train, what's a bigger risk right now coming to the Jaguars? Thibodeau or Trevon Walker? Let's break that down next year in ESPN 690. <laughs> one of the few coaches in the National Football League that has had some degree of control. Sure, there is a GM, but we all know Pete Carroll is Pete Carroll, and we know that he's had significant influence. And when he talks about some of these things, I would remind you that Pete Carroll pays attention because he's been connected to the National Football League for the better part of the last quarter century. What has Pete Carroll done? Yes, he's had 
black individuals that were defensive coordinators, but he also saw the trend of white offensive coordinators usually getting picked up and granted head coaching opportunities. What? How many black uh, offensive coordinators does Pete Carroll had? How many people has he, has he put in that position? I think there's a legitimate question as it pertains to that when it comes to him. Stephen A. Smith talking about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll had a lot to say today um, in terms of minority candidates. Um, According to Adam Schefter, Pete Carroll called up the NFL owners during the league's meetings last week, saying that the hiring of minority candidates won't improve until owners accept that there are candidates out, out there different than themselves, a source told Adam Schefter. And you kind of get the sense that Pete Carroll's always been on the forefront uh, of that kind of stuff, right? I mean, you know, he, he comes across as the ultimate players coach. Um, a lot of my, you know, former teammates that I shared locker rooms with who have played for Pete Carroll can attest to that. Uh, he makes the game of football fun. Now, I'm not sure how much fun they're having in Seattle when they're not winning. I think when you're losing, it doesn't matter what kind of coach you got. Um, you might be a little miserable, and we'll see what the plan is going forward now because they kind of seem like they're in rebuild mode, you know. Rumors are getting ready to tire Lockett. Is DK Metcalf on the trade block? Um, it seems like losing Russell Wilson has kind of put them, propelled them, if you will, um, into a juxtaposition in terms of, well, are you still trying to compete in the division or are you trying to rebuild in the next couple of years and then see where you're at? And if you're trying to rebuild in the next couple of years, it, one can wonder, well, how long does Pete Carroll have left in Seattle then? Right? Like he's going to wash his hands of it, go someplace else, call it a career, or is he going to kind of see this thing through for phase two after Russell Wilson? But I think what Pete Carroll brings to the table, though, in terms of, of owners and, you know, maybe hiring what they're comfortable with um, is a great point. I think it's an obvious point, but when it starts coming from the head coaches, that's the important thing, right? Like, yeah, players can say something, and, and ultimately that does matter. But is a player's voice as powerful as a head coach's voice, especially I think a pretty respected coach in the NFL and Pete Carroll, a guy who has a lot of tenure, Absolutely not. So when Pete Carroll starts leading this charge, and hopefully other coaches start leading this charge, and we'll see with Brian Flores what becomes of, uh, of that whole ordeal going on right now because they're still investigating that. I mean, that's what's going to spark the change right there is when the, the other coaches who, who see a lot more, I think, than players even do start speaking out about it. That's when I think you see this, the change um, that can come about, and it's a change that, that, that needs to happen. Has there been progress? Absolutely. But in the grand scheme of things, you're not even close, I think, to making things right. I think the best coaches, the best candidates should be hired. Um, and that clearly hasn't been the case here, you know, for, for the last past couple decades. Welcome back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Austin Lane with, with my man Casey pushing all the right buttons. Going to be joined by Brent Martineau here, I believe, in the, sometime in the 3 o'clock hour in Augusta right now. But... I teased it before I we went to break, and I want to start diving on this a little bit because it is a Jaguars topic, and, and to me, it's a hot-button topic that nobody can really seem to answer why it's happening. And what I'm alluding to is you got a guy in Trevon Walker who goes to the combine, absolutely blows the doors off it, right? We're, we're talking about a guy who's 6'5", 272, 35 and a half inch arms. Those are those are John Jones arms, in case you're wondering for comparison. Like that's yeah. a that's a freakish wingspan. Yeah. I think mine was like 33 maybe or 32. 
So he's got me by like three or two inches. I mean, whatever. He's got me by three couple. inches. Definitely a couple. That's insane. Yeah. Should be playing basketball. A little bit. But anyways, runs a four-five-one, which is super impressive. A 35-and-a-half-inch vertical, a 123-inch broad jump, and, you know, the shuttle, the three-cone, everything was mwah, chef's kiss. Made a name for himself. Micah Parsons beast mode-like numbers. Okay, great. So you see those numbers, you see the size, and he comes from, you know, the University of Georgia that had, I mean, you know, I'm going to say arguably the best defense because, you know, my Wisconsin Badgers are, it's one and two. All right? It's, yeah. say, say something, Casey. No, I just said yeah. Say, say it's not 1A, 1B right now. Wait, it was just one and two. Now it's one well, and one. I'm saying it was like it was close. It was fractions. You know, it was fractions where maybe Wisconsin's got him a couple categories. Maybe Georgia plays in the SEC. But you play, you know, Iowa, Ohio State. You know, powerhouses like Michigan. Well, I mean, it, sure. it's coming. Well, I don't know. Georgia's playing Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. So what are we really talking about? And Alabama. Uh, Alabama, yeah, Alabama's whatever. Uh, okay, they're pretty good. But anyway, I give you one and two. Okay, cool. One A, one B. Sounds okay, great. I, yeah, one, one, one A and one B. Thank you, Casey. So when we talk about Trevon Walker, yeah, he he played on a story defense. Maybe one of the best defenses of all times in terms of talent and how it's going to correlate to the NFL. But then you look at the numbers, and you look at the production, and you see. His freshman year, two and a half sacks. Okay, maybe you take some time to acclimate. I get that. Maybe depth was an issue. I get that. Played in nine games, two and a half sacks. The next year, seven games, one sack. And then this past year, his junior year, now he's coming out, you know, to the go to the league, played in 13 games and six quarterback sacks. Now, I see those numbers, and okay, what was the rotation? Sure. Did he play with... Arguably the best two defensive tackles, maybe three defensive tackles in all of college football. Yeah. Did he play maybe the best linebacker in all of college football? Yeah. Did he play maybe the best outside linebacker in all of college football? Well, one of them. You know, let's not get too crazy, but one of them for sure. Okay, so you're surrounded with talent, and you produce six sacks. To me, if you play with elite, the elite of the elite in the inside, Jordan Davis, Wyatt, um, Jalen Carter, who's going to be a, a stud next year. I mean, next, he's already a stud, but who's going to be a stud in the draft in the next couple of years. Why do I think his numbers should be more? Like, what, what am I missing there? Probably should be more. Okay. I, 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 I'm with you. Okay. So then there's that. And then there's a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau. And now, once again, I've said many times in this show, if it's Hutchinson, it's Hutchinson. I, I, I like Thibodeau more than Hutchinson, but I get where the Hutchinson pick comes in. I think in terms of polish, Hutchinson has him beat right now. I think in terms of bringing a guy in day one, who's going to contribute more? I think Hutchinson has Thibodeau beat. That's, that's where I'm at. But I think in the long run, I think the, the potential boom pick, Thibodeau is going to be that guy. But then when I see a guy like Thibodeau, and keep in mind who we're talking about, we're talking about a guy in the preseason was supposed to be the, the, the number one pick of the draft. No questions asked, right? Like every, Correct. you know, preseason mock draft that Kuyper and McShay did, they'll let Thibodeau go number one. I remember watching college game day the first week. I forgot where they're at, wherever it was. But they did like a 20-minute piece on Thibodeau of how good he's going to be. And you talk about his stats, and you talk about what he played with. Okay, Pac-12, I get it. Not as competitive as the SEC. But you got a guy who was, you know, one of the top recruits out of high school, goes to Oregon, and his freshman year has nine sacks. All right, now, it wasn't a fact of, okay, well, maybe he was unheard of under the radar. No. 
everybody know who Kayvon Thibodeau was his freshman year. And one would think that defenses try to gear up on, and I'm sorry, that offenses try to gear up on that a little bit and stop him from having so much production. But against all odds, in 13 games, he has nine quarterback sacks and 14 tackles for loss. Pretty good freshman year. Pretty good freshman year from going to high school to trying to figure it out in the college level. So then, you know, we, we, we progressed to his junior, or I'm sorry, his sophomore year, um, played in seven games. You know, I think that was a COVID thing, right? And injuries yeah. were a thing. So mm-hmm. only three sacks. Yeah, the, the, that, that kind of makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit of what happened there. It is what it is. He comes back this past season, plays in 10 games, and has seven sacks. Now, yeah, production probably could have been a little more. 12 uh, tackles for loss, seven quarterback sacks in 10 games. Production probably should have been a little more, right? Um, I think if we're talking about the 12 to 13 range, yeah, then maybe we're talking about the the number one overall pick. But we're not to that point. My question is, is if you compare the numbers in terms of the combine, and, you know, I'm going to do that right now, Kayvon Thibodeau, a 4-5-8 40-yard dash. Bench press 27 reps, and then obviously he ran these stuff at his pro day. Where and it is keep in mind it is geared more towards you know being successful at your pro day. Ran a 4-3-4 shuttle, and the LJ was kind of right on par in terms of production. Well, Trevon Walker ran a 4-3-2 shuttle, mm-hmm. and pretty much the identical three cone drill. He had the higher broad jump. I think vertical was comparable as well. So. They're essentially, in terms of the numbers, because we talk about Trevon Walker putting up these beastly numbers here, Casey. Kayvon Thibodeau put up the same numbers, essentially. Mm-hmm. Was, was a little lower on the broad jump. I'm not sure what Trevon Walker bench-pressed. I'm, I'm sure it was more than adequate. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau bench-pressed 225, 27 times, which I think a guy who's 6'4", 254, is pretty dang impressive. Yeah. So then we see, like, okay, well, what, are, what am I missing? Like, what are the differences? Why, why could Trent Baalke be salivating over one guy who has a visit with the Jaguars and a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, by my understanding, who does not have a visit with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now? Correct. Well, okay, so then we can go to the size, right? Trevon Walker, 6'5", 272, and I mentioned those 35-inch arms. And then you go to Kayvon Thibodeau, and, and that's the difference. 6'4", 254, 33 and one-eighth arms. Okay. Those are, those are Austin Lane arms. So, you know what? They're adequate. <laughs> I think they get the job done. Yeah, they do. They I do. think 33 and one-eighth inch arms get the job done. Oh, yeah. But when I read about Trevon Walker, and once again, I don't want this to be like a Trevon Walker, like, slam piece here. Like, I'm, I think the guy could be very talented. But what I'm trying to convey here is I don't get how all the hype all of a sudden got around Trevon Walker, and now all of a sudden everyone's saying, yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau? Yeah, yeah, I mean, does he really love the game of football? I, I don't know, man. Throw on the throw on the film. Watch watch how he can accelerate off the offensive line and watch his hips. And watch how if he gets a little coaching, how special he could be. Does he love the game of football? Yeah, I mean probably, man. All right. He was like the number one recruit in high school. I assume he loves the game of football. I assume it comes with a work ethic. Like to me, it reminds me of when we heard rumors a couple of years about Kyler Murray not being that good on the board. And like the, the, the big rumors around the combine was that Kyler Murray had no idea like what to do on the board and it was a nightmare and then he's not going number one overall. Well, lo and behold, the Arizona Cardinals draft Kyler Murray number one, replace uh, you know, Kyle, uh, Josh Rosen with Kyler Murray and the rest is history. Kyler Murray, I mean, a top 10 quarterback for sure, maybe top eight, whatever the case may be. My point is, is that I don't think we've ever really questioned Kyler Murray's IQ or even love for the game when he had an opportunity to play baseball. But somehow here we are, Trevon Walker is like the, the, the draft darling right now, and Kayvon Thibodeau is an afterthought. And I just don't know how we got to this point. You know?
It feels like the classic example that we do every year with quarterbacks happened last year. Like Zach or uh, Justin Fields, right? We knew Justin Fields was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. But what do we do? Huh? We we find something to pick on him, and we take Zach Wilson ahead of him. No, for sure. Mitchell Trubisky over whoever was in that draft. Yeah. Uh, Mahomes, Watson, whatever. It happens every year. So I think this is just a case of let's micro really look at it. Let's find something that's just not exactly perfect. Yeah. We'll push Thibodeau down, and then he'll end up being a beast. Here's that's all, what I think happens. Here's all I'm going to say. If I'm drafting with the number one overall pick, it's got to be an edge rusher. Okay? And it's got to be a guy that's going to contribute in getting me quarterback sacks. I'm more confident right now with what I've seen, with what the stats say, and the numbers being comparable set aside from the long arms. I think Thibodeau's ahead of Trevon Walker on that stat. And when quarterback sacks are king, that's the only stat that I need. More on ESPN 690 when we get back. surprised I'm, I'm not surprised I'm legitimately shocked and I mean I've known that I've known this young man well he's when none of us are young anymore I've known him since he was a young man Stephen A and throughout his career we've seen him come back from surgeries on his knee and multiple surgeries on his back and and that, that was surprising the man won in 19 with a fused back okay that's not doesn't happen but this this was an entirely different deal he nearly lost his leg there were concerns initially he might lose his life all right. You're throwing a lot at me here. Because I got to say, who's he talking about? Someone talking about Justin Ross? Not exactly. Okay, way off. Yeah. Okay, first of all, who's the guy that's breaking it down? It'd be Scott Van Pelt. Ah. And who's he talking about? Tiger Woods. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we're going to football stuff. Okay. Sorry, man. No, I figured. I, I still got it. Okay. Yeah, I figured we might have Brent on. Okay. You know, I figured it was a good lead in. But I was Justin Ross is, you know, a heck of a player, too. Well, he definitely had the fusion surgery. Well, and that's the thing, because Shock Your Mock today yeah. may or may not feature a certain Justin Ross. So that's where I thought you were going with it. Yeah. But you're going with Tiger that Woods. smart, huh? I didn't know he hurt his spine as well. Like his Tiger? back. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's got a bad back. He's okay. got, like, different back than he was born with at this point. Okay. Yeah, that's how many surgeries he's had on it. Call him the Terminator. All right. Well, Literally. hey, when when you put out the bat signal with Tiger Woods, you know Brent Martineau's going to come running, and we are joined by Brent Martineau right now, I believe, still in Augusta, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Brent, how are we doing, man? We're doing awesome. Just looking up the rule book to see if piggybacks are allowed. Yeah, could you theoretically do that? It's not a bad question. I think I would try it. Yeah. I would try it. Yeah. I don't think Tiger's going to need that. But, by the way, I don't think you could do it either. You, 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 don't think I, I, you don't think I could give Tiger Woods a piggyback ride? You don't think I could Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston, a.k.a. the bodyguard, Tiger Woods for 18 holes? No, not you, at Augusta. You're, 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 what, what do you mean with, because not at Augusta? The, the hills? Yeah. The hill. Are we at the elevation? Severe, man. Is it elevation severe? Are we, are, are, are we climbing up in Steamboat Springs? What do you mean the hills? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm trying to think, like, think about a bunny hill, right? On a, like, I'm like a little kid's hill sure. at, at a ski slope. Sure. And no doubt, like, a few of the holes, and, and really probably more than a few, have that kind of feel. And they go down and then they go back up, you know? So you got to walk, you got to do the down and the up. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, pick, I would I would bet against you being able to do that. I might even bet against you being able to do that with Ronan. Now, I might bet with you if you had to do that with Ty. 
Okay, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're truly going to bet against me, first of all, that, that I couldn't do it with my own son, you're, you're out of your mind. Because you got to keep in mind who you're talking to. And, Jeff, and Coach Driscoll has said this many times. I run those bridges at, at Jack's Beach, okay? We're talking like a 12%, maybe 20% grade, all right? I'm running the incline, and I'm running down the incline. And I do it over and over and over and over again. I have no problem walking the incline, whether it's going up or down. You're all making it sound like you're at Mount Everest right now, and Tiger Woods is getting ready to embark on his like, greatest expedition of all time. The guy is going over dramatizing. The the guy is going for through for a casual stroll through the woods. <laughs> let's, yeah. let, let, let's treat it as such. I heard I heard you talking about. It. I think it's I think you your point is fair. I think it is probably a little over dramatized, but I also think there's just another element involved. You know, you've watched Tiger in majors before, and even if when he was fully healthy, you go way back, Casey knows this too, and every golf fan out there knows this. Everybody's seen Tiger play, perform, win. And when you look at his face on a Sunday, he is like, I mean, drained, right? It's like he's got the worst case of allergies ever at, at after a tournament. He is just absolutely drained mentally because he puts it all in. So if you think about that part of it, this is a major, this is a big deal. He's going to put that kind of emphasis from a mental standpoint. Well, then there's a, hey, how's my game? Is it good enough? Can I play golf at this level at right now? And then you do add this other element where you've never really had to ask this question too much from uh, a walking standpoint. Yes, you had to have the fuse and the back. Uh, that's more from a swing standpoint. And he's Obviously walked around and limped around the 2008 U.S. Open and won it uh, with a somewhat broken leg. So, you know, he's played through injury before. I just don't know if he knows what it's going to be like 72 holes at Augusta coming off this kind of injury. And so I, that's why I think all the questions are there. And I would agree with you, by the way. I think he can do it. I think that's why he's playing. I think he knows he can do it. I think it's probably not as big of a hurdle as we're all making it out to be. But I do think it's fair to say if he makes the cut, I don't think he knows what his body's going to feel like and look like. And you know this better than anybody, Austin. He's talked about it today. It's not the idea of doing it. It's the idea of the recovery. Once he goes out there, walks on it, practices on it, plays on it, it swells up. And can he get the swelling back down and all the rest of it? So he talked more about the recovery today and being ready to go the next day than he did actually about the triumph of walking the 18 holes, if you will. I understand that storylines are a thing and that the Tiger Woods walk to remember trademark, that's mine, and no one can steal that. The, the, the Tiger Woods walk Get to remember is a, is a big deal. But I'm just saying, if you want me to start respecting that sport more, I'm going to need something other than that, right? Because I watched Alex Smith defy all odds, almost lose his leg, and literally fight for his life against the Los Angeles Rams as Aaron Donald is staring at him play after play after play. And now we're talking about a guy who's coming off, and don't get me wrong, a, a catastrophic injury, right? And, and maybe he defied all odds. But the whole storyline is, can, can he walk for 18 hills? Because it's the, the hills the, the hills could be an issue. Like, I need something else, Brent. I, I mean, yeah, I think the casual golf fan like me needs something else. You, you're, by the way, your comparison to Alex Smith's a very good one. Uh, because of the extent of the injury, right? Almost like the gruesome nature of it. And mm -hmm. we haven't seen like the 30 for 30 with Tiger. Maybe we do someday and a little more behind the scenes and get a better appreciation for what exactly he went through. But I would say from a quarterback standpoint, we're asking, can he go out there? Can he drop back on it? Three-step drops, five-step drops. I think it would be more like if Kylo Murray came back from that kind of injury and you're asking him to, can he be a tooth, uh, a, a 
double threat, a dual threat. Mm. You know, can he run some? You know, and and I think that's a little bit more of, of what you're asking Tiger to do because the bottom line is in the golf swing the legs are super important. Not saying the the throwing motion in football it's not. But I think it's a little bit more important with the rotation and everything else of what Tigers go to do to generate the swing speed to hit it as far as they need to hit it, not us, but they need to hit it. I'll give you one more. I think because I thought you brought up a good question and jogged my mind. Uh, actually, I'm going to bring two more. And, Casey, you have to give me a little bit of um, thought on this and see if I'm right. One of them, both you guys will know, and this is Adrian Peterson, right? Like, Adrian Peterson's comeback wowed everybody. It's like, holy cow, right? How mm-hmm. can he do that from an ACL? And he performs well, right? So when he initially came back. So I think this is a little bit along those lines. Can he perform really well? We never got to see if Alex Smith could really perform at a high level after the injury. It was just awesome that he came back. The other one I'll give you, this is totally different from a physical standpoint, but uh, Casey, Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton was an unbelievable talent. Mm -hmm. He had a ton of issues with addiction and everything else, and really his life spiraled downhill. And he came back for that one season, I forget the numbers, but I thought it was one of the biggest sports stories like I've ever seen, that he was able to come back uh, after the depths of struggle that he was in. Austin, think like... No, the I mean, you think I, about a guy like Justin Blackman, right? Like yeah. the depths no, of I the mean, struggle. I know Josh Hamilton. I remember the, the 2008 home run derby. Yeah. yeah, and so he came back and would put on that show. Now, he, he, he only was able to do it for that year and then more issues after that. But I remember thinking that year, I'm like, wow. And, and I almost kind of wonder if Tiger, uh, again, not from a physical standpoint, but maybe there's some mental side of it here from all the things that he's been able to overcome that, that is akin to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad comparison. Obviously, golf is definitely a mental game, and, and Hamilton definitely struggled with his, you know, I mean, it was more mental than, than, than anything, and it goes to show you just how physically gifted Josh Hamilton was to kind of come from the depths of hell, if you will, and, and put out that season like he did, and then, you know, unfortunately kind of fell off again, and, and that's strictly mental. Like, he had all the physical things lined up. It's just the mental part of it, and I think, you know, with Tiger Woods, it's definitely a combination. It's it's coming back from the injury, and, and how is that leg going to hold up, number one? But number two, it's you haven't been – I mean, yeah, you, you've been playing the game. I'm sure you have, but you haven't been playing the game at this level, right? And I think there's something to be said where if a guy in any professional sport takes as long as he did off, come back right away and win the whole thing, like on the grandest of stages – um, there's something to be said for that, you know, and it's probably something that we've never really seen before in terms of coming back for this big one and then winning it. Yeah, and it's just that it's Tiger. I mean, I, I, just, I don't think we can say that enough, right? Hey, Alex Smith's Alex Smith. Josh Hamilton's Josh Hamilton. Hey, even Adrian Peterson's Adrian Peterson. This is Tiger freaking Woods, you know? Tiger Woods is as big as, as, as we've ever had in sport. And sure, we can give comparisons and say who's bigger, and, but, but he's in that breath. And everybody knows that. That's not debatable. And we're seeing it this week, you know. You saw it. Uh, every You have to feel this right now, even if you're paying attention to the Masters or not. And you can really feel it at Augusta National. I mean, it's just a dominating storyline. And to be honest with you, I think Tiger's kind of put his arms around it a little bit, too. And uh, can Tiger win all those kind of conversations? I'm not even sure if deep, deep down he's worried about that as much as just getting back competing, the camaraderie. Playing 27 holes last week with Charlie, those kind of things. Uh, I'm going to join you again a little bit later on, and I do want to talk a little bit more about can he win, guys, because this guy right here that you're talking to is one of the biggest Tiger guys going. And I don't think for a second 
that he can win this golf tournament this week. Well, here we go. Then he's actually going to win it because it's just the Boston Red Sox all over again. So, uh, <laughs> so I can't wait to break this down. All right, go shock your mock, and then I'll join you again a little bit later on. Shock, we shall. All right, we got shock your mock coming up here next on ESPN 690. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.